If there's one thing that I want you to know this Christmas, it's just like the dad said, the story's still true. The story's still true. The story of the prodigal son is probably the most well-known story that Jesus told. Luke records it in Luke 15, and, and, he, and he tells us this incredible story, this story you've probably heard, a story about uh, two sons, and the younger son goes to his dad, and he, he demands his portion of the inheritance. And in this incredibly profound act of grace that's so easily oversaw, overseen, the father grants it to him, and he sells off a third of his estate, the portion due the younger son, and he hands it to him. And the son wanders away. The son becomes the prodigal. At least that's what we think, right? That the son becomes the prodigal. I mean, that's how we use it. Maybe, maybe you have a, uh, a child of your own or, or a coworker or a friend or someone in the family that's the prodigal. Maybe you or a coworker or a family member even tried at one point chasing after that prodigal. Maybe you followed that prodigal to some other town or state that they traveled to and you tried to plead with them to come home, but they wanted nothing of you. Maybe, maybe you are that prodigal. You've wandered away. You've been labeled the black sheep of the family, the prodigal. You see, the younger son came to his dad with all these visions of his freedom plans, of what it would look like if he could be in charge, if, if he could be the one who made the decisions. He must have laid in his bed at night, building resentment and bitterness against his dad. If only, if only his dad would let him do what he wanted to do. If only his dad would let him make the decision. If only his dad would quit bringing such a, a, an oppressive force on his life. If he could live out the freedom plans he had. And so he became the prodigal. And the story tells us that he went away to a, a, a distant land and, and he basically burned up all the money. He had parties and celebrations. and But then... Life throws a curve. It, it always throws a curve, doesn't it? It always throws a curve. Maybe that's part of the reason you're here tonight is because life's thrown you enough curves. Throws them a curve. It says this in the story. It says that uh, a famine swept across the, the land, which is, one, not good. But then there's a second curve that comes, and it says that the money ran out. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't the money always run out? Money runs out. And he ends up in this destitute, lonely, rejected place. It says that he ended up feeding the pigs, that that was his job, was feeding the pigs. And he was so destitute and alone, he dreamed about eating what the pigs were eating. Now, you maybe grew up with pigs, and you may not understand the insult or the rejection that it is for him to be feeding pigs, because you might think, you might be like, Sean, 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 Sean. I raised pigs for 4-H. Let me tell you about pigs. Pigs are one of the smartest mammals that walk on the face of this planet. Pigs are intelligent and social beings, right? But that's not at all the point of the story. You see, for them, a pig represented the utmost rejection and distance from God. So he finds himself distant and alone 
and rejected. And then we come to verse 20. Luke 15, verse 20, is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible because in it alone is the entirety of the Christian message, the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to proclaim. It says this. Let me read it to you in its entirety. It says this. So he, being the younger son, got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Verse 20 starts with nine words that changed the trajectory of the younger son forever. So he got up and came to his father. Nine words. Can you imagine the terror in that moment? Like, it's inevitable that the son, I mean, first of all, the son took a third of the father's estate and now comes back, who left with, with just loads of cash. Now he comes back completely empty-handed. Left as a prince, now he comes back rejected and homeless. And you imagine as he's walking back towards his father, the terror that must have been going through his mind. Because you see, the dad appears to be, by the account of the story, he appears to be a relatively successful businessman. He, he runs this, this, this operation that has servants, that, that has hired hands, that have people work in the house, that he pays for the whole cost of them. He has so much money that he can liquidate a third of his estate and the operation continues on without question. That's how wealthy this dad is. It's inevitable to imagine that that father at some point, that at some point that father came down hard on his son. Maybe he came down hard on a servant Maybe it was in a business deal and, and, and he th thought that he got turned sideways on a business deal and, and he got angry and he came down hard on whoever he was trying to have a business deal. But this son, as he's walking back, he's imagining that moment of anger and frustration in his dad exploding into him. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that what we imagine? Like in all those moments when we're going to come back to try and restore something that's broken, we just imagine it going as horribly as it possibly could. So the story tells us that he begins to recite a speech. He memorizes and practices speech over and over and over and over again. He critiques every little point of his speech, instructs it just in the right way, that he can be apologetic enough, but he can also plead and be emphatic enough that his dad would let him back in. And the thrust of the speech is this, is, Dad, I don't deserve to be your son, I know that, but let me be someone who works in your house. Because to work in your house would be better than what I have now. That's all. Let me work my way back into the house. But what he finds when he returns to the father's house is nothing that he could have fathomed or imagined. You see, you think about the father. We don't know how long the son was gone, but he had to have been gone for a while because he went through a third of the father's estate. He went through a large amount of cash. And it was long enough that a famine came through and the food ran out and the money ran out and it became difficult enough. So he was gone for months, maybe years. But we get implied from the story that the father's been waiting. That every morning he gets up and he goes out onto their porch. They didn't have porches in the ancient Middle East, but we can imagine. Okay? goes out on his porch and he sits down on his wooden rocking chairs, which again, they didn't have wooden rocking chairs, but we can imagine. And he sits there and he drinks his coffee, which they also didn't yet have, but we can imagine, right? And he sits out on this porch every morning and he waits 
and he watches. And I, and I imagine this father, every single time a, a, a silhouette began to appear over the hillside, he'd kind of perk up a little bit. And how many times did he see a silhouette that kind of looked like the way his son walked, about the same size as his son, about the same age, and he couldn't quite make out if it was his son? How many times did he perk up and he began to, to make his way towards the guy coming and all he finds is that it's actually just the male guy running late? And he sits on the porch and he waits for months, maybe years. Can, can you imagine the conversations from the servants? Right? He's got a household of servants. How many times are they back in the kitchen and one of them would say to the other, hey, hey, where's the boss? Oh, he's, he's out on the porch still. Is he still waiting for that son? Yeah, he's, he's still sitting there. Man, someone's got to tell him. Just give it up. He's gone. He left. He's not coming back. He's going to waste away the rest of his life. And how many times they walked out there? And saw him on the porch and said, hey, boss. And he just looked with hollowness out into the hillside. Hey, hey, boss. Oh, what? what? And as that son comes back towards his father, he comes walking down the road. And Luke, who records the words of Jesus, like wants to make a point, like an emphatic point about the passion and the aggressiveness of the father. And look what it says. Let me read it to you again. It says this. So he, being the youngest son, got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. The word there in the Greek is this kind of like aching, twisting inside your gut. It's just about as emphatic a word as you can get for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see, what Luke's trying to tell us is that this father, he sets aside every ounce of dignity or self-respect he might have. He sees his son, and his body, everything in his body screams that he must have his son. And he runs to him, and he grabs him, and he reaches his arms around him, and he kisses him, and he kisses him, and he kisses him. And can you imagine that moment? He's, his son's been gone for years. He's waited for years for his child. Maybe, maybe you don't have to imagine that. Maybe you know that. Maybe you feel that angst of that father waiting for his child to come back. And he grabs hold of him and he squeezes him and I can just see, like, he squeezes him and then, then you know the hug, like, when you miss someone, you haven't seen him for a while, it's socially acceptable to have a longer embrace than normal, right? Like, normally, this is the hug, like, especially if you're dudes, right? We've had this conversation, this is how you hug, it's the handshake, then it's the twist, then it's the reach around with the free arm and double tap and then you release, right? That's socially acceptable. If you, if you sit and linger, then it gets awkward, right? If you two-hand it, it gets awkward unless you have that kind of friendship relationship, right? There's, there's a way we hug, and when we hug people just socially, it's, it's this, it's, right, hug. If you don't know this, you should know this, okay? It's hug, one count, release. That's socially appropriate, okay? If it's hug, two count, it starts to get weird, okay? And, and the father, he grabbed, and if you, you know, if you haven't seen something for a while, you can hug and like four count, Okay? There's never a socially appropriate time that you should count in your head to 10 while you're hugging someone. Okay? That's only married folks should do that kind of stuff. Okay? That's, right? And he hugs and he won't let go of his son. And you can imagine, right, the son seeing his dad running to him. And I, and I imagine, imagine even the younger son, he sees his dad running to him and he's like, his first thought is, is he coming because he's excited or he's going to strangle me? 
And he grabs him, he squeezes, and there comes that point in time where the son, he's got a speech he wants to give. And so he, he probably tries to kind of like release from the dad, but the dad doesn't let go. He just keeps grabbing him and kissing him on the cheek and kissing him on the forehead and grabbing him and squeezing him and kissing him and kissing him and squeezing him. And he, and he kind of even starts to like get uncomfortable enough with this affection from his dad that he, that he kind of tries to separate himself because he's got a speech. You remember, he's, he's memorized a speech he's going to tell his dad. And, and he, he tries to kind of push away from his, from his dad. But in one of this like incredibly profound moments, do you notice the father doesn't even acknowledge the speech of the son? He never even responds to the son. The son starts to tell him the story about, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven, that you should just let me come and be a hired servant. He doesn't even acknowledge it. What does the father do? He grabs his son, he embraces him, he squeezes him, he kisses him, and he starts yelling to the servant, get, get the robe, get the ring, get the party started, get a DJ, get some dancers, get the buffet line put out, get the fattened calf, let's celebrate. He doesn't even, and he goes back to squeezing his son and squeezing him and squeezing him and squeezing him. This, this story, this one verse is the gospel, it's the foundation of why we celebrate Christmas. Because you see, that younger son, that story is our story. The Bible says it this way, it says, while we were yet sinners. In another passage it says, um, while we were enemies in our minds before God, while we were against him, while we were so broken we couldn't even find the right way up, when we were so rejected and alone and isolated and fearful and broken, God came after us. While we were hopeless and abandoned, sitting in the mud of pigs, God sent his son after us. That's why we celebrate. That's what this whole thing is about, is that all it took was the son turning and the father ran to him. And he embraced him and he received him with such grace and mercy and celebration. And the son, the son wanted to earn his way back into the good graces of the father, but the father declared that he was his child. And he said, you will sit at my table as my son. So that's the message of the gospel. That's why we celebrate. Because God was so kind and good and gracious to every single one. And he, here's something I believe, okay? You may not know it yet, but here's something I believe with every bone in my body. I believe it's not an accident you're here at 5.15, 5.30 on a Tuesday night. I don't think it's a coincidence that you're in this space, in this room. I believe that there's a God, there's a good Father who's been waiting for you, who's been sitting in heaven all day going, <laughs> today's the day. He's coming home. He's coming home. And then at the moment you turn your face back to him, you will find a father who runs to you to embrace you, to kiss you, to celebrate you, to rejoice over you, his son or daughter who is lost but has been found. Maybe, maybe, maybe today your story is a lot more like the dad in the video. And maybe the thing that needs to happen today is maybe you've experienced the grace and mercy of God. Maybe there's a prodigal in your life. 
Maybe today, this Christmas, as we celebrate a father who chased after us, you need to be like that father and you need to write a letter. Maybe there's a child, there's a spouse, there's a parent, there's a cousin, there's a coworker, there's a neighbor, there's a friend, someone you love deeply who's wandered away from the faith, who's wandered away from your family, and there'll be a, ta- there'll be a seat empty tomorrow at Christmas dinner. And you need to write a letter to him, and you need to, just as this father did, say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for any part I played, but I want you to know there'll always be a seat at our table for you. Maybe, maybe today, maybe today you need to be like the younger, the younger son. Maybe today you need to follow the same nine words, and you need to get up and return to the father. In a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray for you. And I want to, uh, there's something powerful in us when we do something to make a decision, to make a commitment, to fall through something. And so in this moment when I pray, at the end of my prayer, I'm going to invite you. And if, if, if tonight, if you need to write a letter, write an email, make a phone call, I'm going to ask you at one point, I'm going to ask you in that moment to, to raise your hand, and then, and then I'm going to pray for you. Maybe, maybe this moment, you know, you can feel, you've experienced God chasing after you to come to this moment and you need to turn and turn your face back to him that you might find the embrace of a father who desperately loves you. And if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to make a commitment today to not let another Christmas go by where we get distracted by the music and the presents and the food and the festivities, but that we remember and are reminded and our lives are changed by the truth of the story, that the story's still true, that God is still chasing after us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this night before we celebrate the birth of a baby that changed the course of human history. More than that, though, the day before we celebrate the birth of a baby who has the potential to change our life for eternity. Lord, for, for, for every one of us in this room, Lord, I pray that we would not let a Christmas pass by without savoring and remembering and celebrating the grace and the mercy that was ushered in in this moment that you came after us. This afternoon, if you are someone who needs to write a letter, that needs to invite someone back to show them the same kind of grace and mercy that the father showed the younger son, that this father in this video showed his daughter. Then I would ask you in this moment, I want to pray for you. If, you, if everyone would just keep their eyes closed and head down, if, if you would just raise your hand, I, just, I, I, want to, I want to see you specifically and I want to pray for you. Okay, let me pray. Lord, I I thank you for the hands raised. I thank you for the courage of just that moment, just, just, just raising your hand up. Lord, I pray that you would continue to fill them with a courage and a faith and a strength to sit down and pen that letter. 
And then, Lord, as they write that letter, as they, as they write that email, they make that phone call, Lord, we pray that in that conversation, that moment, that it would be your words, that you would, that you would already begin to soften the heart of the loved one that they're going to reach out to, Lord, that in that moment that they would be able to be a conduit, that they would be able to be a fulfillment of 2 Corinthians 5 that says that you've given us to be ministers of reconciliation. And Lord, that just as the father in the story set aside all of their own self-pride and dignity to chase after the son, that you might give them the courage to walk humbly before you to invite this person back to the table. Lord, we pray that there'd be reconciliation, restoration. If this evening, if this evening, if you are a person who, who is as the younger son who's wandered away, maybe you don't even feel like you ever were in the house You've always been on the outside. You've always been trying to earn your way, and you've always been trying to figure out your own path. But you sit here tonight, and the money's run out. And you feel alone, and you feel rejected, and you feel unwanted, and maybe nobody else even sitting with you even knows. But today's the day where you need to turn your face back to the Father to find grace and mercy and a home and a family if that's you, if you just raise your eyes and look at me, I, I want to look at you. I want to pray for you. Let me pray. Lord, we pray for these individuals. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them even in this moment as they're um, wanting to turn back to you, that, they would, that that desire would be honored in, in them experiencing, knowing, and seeing, and feeling your embrace, finding grace and mercy and restoration. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you'd give them the courage to say something to someone that they might continue to walk close to you, that they might know that they have a family, that they are a beloved son or daughter of you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In a moment, in a moment we're gonna sing some songs. There'll be words up on the screen. We'd invite you to stand and to sing with us. But maybe in this moment as we go into Christmas, maybe, maybe this has just been a hard month, hard season. Maybe Christmas is always hard. There'll be people in the back that would love to pray with you. Maybe, maybe you made a decision that you need to write a letter or call someone, and, and you need someone that would help um, pray over you and help build your courage and your strength and your confidence to do that. There'll be people in the back that'd love to pray with you. Maybe today you made a decision that you need to turn and walk back towards the Father. We'd love to pray with you, and we'd love to talk with you. But whatever you choose to do this morning, this evening, let us worship and exalt a good father who's waiting to throw a party over us.